Morning, everybody. Pastor Phil here once again at New Life in Christ Church in Cedar Creek, Texas, coming to you for our online service. And welcome. Glad that uh, you're all joining us. Um, as usual, we have our announcements. We have our website, which is nlicedarcreek.org. And on there, you can find links to both our YouTube page and our Facebook page. You could, uh, and you can, if you'd like, and subscribe those. So that, that would uh, help us to expand our reach and um, have the good word of Jesus go out further um, into the <laughs> into the uh, world wide web, which is an ancient term that people don't really use much anymore. Anyway, uh, also, well, also want to let you know we have three ways to give now. Which number number one way to give would be text, and we have the number up on the screen. Or you can click on the link in this video description underneath the video. Then you can also give by mail and, and find our, our mailing address, our, our PO box there. Uh, also want to announce that uh, in the coming weeks we're going to be looking to uh, re- essentially merging the online service with the main service on Sunday. So what we would do is actually we wouldn't pre-record these like we had been doing. Instead we would do it live so that when you tune in uh, it'll it'll be us going unscripted, which we're never scripted anyway, but you know, uh, you, but the, the other people will be in the, in the church building, um, you know, and uh, so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, the biggest change for you as the online audience would be that uh, you would no longer get the email at 9 a.m. Instead, you get the email at 10.30 a.m. because that's when we do our in-person service. And so you would be tuning in for our in-person service. And again, that's just something we're looking to implement in the, in the uh, coming weeks. And uh, so uh, be in prayer that we are able to figure it out and get everything working right, <laughs> and then uh, because it will be a blessing. And speaking of that, if you have prayer requests, feel free to send them to us, and we will uh, see to see to those, lift those up to the Lord. Um, that's very important to us. And speaking of prayer, let's go ahead and pray and get into get into the worship portion of the service. So, Father, we thank you so much for your Spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you pour out in these last days on your on your sons and daughters, Lord, that we can minister in the the power uh, of the Holy Spirit that you have uh, so graciously bestowed upon us, and he lives in us, and he works through us, and uh, just thank you that we can be led uh, by your Spirit to the hurting and the lost of this world and help them uh, speak into their life and uh, show them Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. I I pray, Father, that as we get ready to sing and uh, sing your praises and worship you, Father, that you would help us to set our hearts upon you, help us to be focused on you, and uh, let all those who are tuning in with me here uh, sense your presence, Father, sense your goodness. I pray, Lord, that you would provide for their needs because you do take care of things. As we just spend time to worship you, you take care of things that we don't even know there was a need. And so we thank you, Father, and praise you and love you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall 
shall not pass away, O ancient of days. Blessing and honor, glory and power be unto the ancient of days. From every nation, all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory, every knee shall bow.
see how the flowers bloom for you. They want to show you their beauty, Lord. Running waters dance, you and I romance. And unto you be all the glory. Unto you be all the glory. Unto
lifting up the heavens, Lord, and let your kingdom come to earth and done to all the glory unto you be all the glory unto you be all the glory unto you be all the glory unto you unto you
mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we can believe it. Yes, we can see that signs are still what you do. And bodies are still being raised. And giants are still being slain. God, we believe it. And yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. We are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. We are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. We set our hearts on you, Jesus, do your move. We need your move. We need your move. We need your move. Christ is still saving souls astray. And he is still healing the lame. God, we believe it. And yes, we can see that miracles are still what you do. We are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. Yeah. 
whatever you ask in my name believe that you receive and you will have it whatever he has promised in his word that you can ask for you can receive it and he is moving this is not just something we are seeing he is moving he is always moving Jesus said my father is always working so am I
this is a move. This is a move. This is a move. Lord, we honor you. Lord, we honor you. You are our deliverer. And I remind myself once again, Lord, not to get so focused on the deliverance that I forget to look upon the deliverer. So I honor you, Father. I thank you for all those times that you saved me. All those times I should have died. But you were there. And you snatched me out. And you preserved my life. Thank you, Lord. Worthy. 
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, oh, we live for you, and holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are in No one else will do 
trust in you alone and I will not be shaken thank you Lord Oh, I stand in awe of you, Father. You are worthy, Lord, of every praise. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just spent some time in your, in your courtroom, Lord, at your feet, at the foot of your throne. And it's there that you renew us. You break burdens off us that we didn't even know we were carrying. Lord, I ask that you Continue to bless our time together. Lord, I ask for your help to bring this word and the things that we're talking about going on in the earth now, those things that you are aware of, that you have already made provision for and you have already made plans for. And I ask, Lord, that the churches all across this nation would continue to be awakened to the to time and the hour. It just, you know, the Pharisees came and asked Jesus for a sign to prove his authority, and Jesus said, you you." You, you can discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. And over and over again, he told them, have you not read in the scriptures? Have you not read? And so, Lord, you, you desire us to read your word, to become better and better acquainted with you. And so, as we open the word together, I pray that you give our, our hearts understanding you give us eyes to see, ears to hear what it is that you are speaking to the churches. And I thank you, Father, and I praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Oh, that was awesome. Um, <clears throat> you know, it occurred to me as I was singing earlier that I uh, had forgot to, you know, last week I made mention of Tim and how he had spoke the previous week and but I forgot to mention his son Josh, who is an awesome worship leader, and so I just want to acknowledge him and, and what he does. And he, have, he and I have worked together many times, and it's, it's really nice to work with a worship leader because we were co-lead, you know, back and forth. We did that several times at places, and it's really nice to work with a worship leader who knows how to take the risk of looking foolish to pause during worship and see if see what God is saying and maybe take things in a different direction and whenever I could tell that there was something uh, or say, I should say whenever I can tell that there's something uh, that needs to be spoken or sung or something but I don't know what it is I can look over at, at Josh and I can be confident that he's got it that uh, you know he and he always does it's, it's awesome to to work alongside him let's go ahead and open our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 26 
because uh, we are really doing a second part today. This is Victory in the Kingdom, part two. I actually hadn't, I was telling, I was telling Bill, uh, our audio, our audio video um, head, I said, you know, I, I, I uh, wasn't thinking at the time that we were going to do a part two, but I knew that I, I wanted to finish Isaiah. We started Isaiah 26. I wanted to finish Isaiah 26. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I didn't say that I was going to do a second part. And, and uh, so as I was praying it out and, kind of, and, you know, what I felt in my heart, a release from the Lord to go ahead and finish the chapter up, I just happened to look on, you know, just glance at the, the titles of the online services that we have. And it, last week's was actually titled online, Victory in the Kingdom Part 1. So I thought, well, how appropriate. We'll just do Victory in the Kingdom Part 2. And, uh, you know, it's very important to, you know, I just stress this. It, it's, uh, it's challenging for me to look at a multiple-part series, and I, I don't know about you, but whenever I see a multiple-part series, it's difficult for me to get into it. I'm like, okay, well, I might listen to the first one, you know, and I, I don't. I tend to kind of shy away from looking at the rest of them because I because it's that oh, it's just an enormous undertaking to listen to all the parts. But the truth is, is that you don't get everything that you need to get uh, in just looking at certain parts. And so uh, I, I learned that the hard way. And so, you know, I I, I don't particularly like to do. Uh, messages in this manner with different parts, but sometimes it's necessary because the the subject is just too big to carry, you know, to in 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 one message. So again, you know, I say we didn't get all the way through the chapter this last week, but I think it's important to go ahead and finish it because it gives us a different overview of the end times than the one that Jesus gave us in Matthew 24. It's not a different, it's not different at all. It's just a different viewpoint, a different vantage point. So if you take them both together, they really complement one another for a broader understanding. You know, and someone said, well, that's, well, why didn't Jesus just give us all the details in Matthew 24? Well, that's a good question. God wants us to delight in reading his whole counsel in his word. That's easier for some people than others, but everyone has their own challenges in this Christian walk. You know, so for some people, it's difficult to uh, spend time in the Word, but it's absolutely vital, you know, uh, to do that. The the Word, and it's not really, it's not as much about study as it is about just delighting in God's Word. Several times in the Word, God talks about delighting in His Word. He only mentions study maybe once or twice. It's only one time I can think of, and so yes, it's important to study, but it's not what the emphasis is. God wants our emphasis to be in delighting in His Word, because. In delighting in His Word, that fosters that hunger for His Word, and then you study by default. You don't, you know, you're just you're just devouring it because you you love the Word because you have taken time to uh, cultivate a love for God's Word, and uh, that's like I said, absolutely vital because one, it gets to, you get to know God a lot better, but two, it's His Word that gets us through the storms of life. It, that's why the Word said, "Hold fast the confession of your faith." What are you confessing? You're confessing the Word. And that's what will get you through the storms of life. Because when you get into a trial or circumstance, you can say, well, what does God's word say about this? You know, and so as uh, I heard one teacher say one time, she said, aren't you glad that you have eyeballs and a Bible? <laughs> and she's right, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it's so important to be in the word, to, to, do, to do as he says and delight in his word. Because God expects us to give him our best. Brother Hagin said one time, if you want God's best, you got to give him your best. All right, let's go ahead and run quickly through the beginning of this chapter and just hit a few points. Uh, 
as a quick review, starting in verse 1. We won't go through the whole chapter. We'll just you know, hit it in parts. But in, in, in uh, Isaiah 26, verse 1 says, In that day, again, what day are we talking about? We're talking about the day of judgment, God's judgment day. And that's at the end of the tribulation. You've got the end times. Then you've got the seven-year period at the, uh, of the tribula- that's called the tribulation at the end of the end times. And then judgment day is the, will be the last day of that day of tribulation, of that time of tribulation. And so this entire chapter of Isaiah 26 is all of this has to do with that day, with the God's day of judgment, okay? So it says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, in God. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. So again, what does the strong city represent? It represents God's kingdom here on the earth. Jesus referred to Jerusalem as the city of the great king. Jesus himself is that king. Now, he's, it's not that Jerusalem, it, because people throughout the centuries have have made a big deal about Jerusalem. And, you know, the Bible does say to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but what, what God is doing in this chapter is he is using Jerusalem as a symbol of his kingdom in the earth. So Jerusalem itself is not the kingdom. It, it is a symbol in this chapter of, of his kingdom, okay? So now notice that Jesus, he is, he is that king. He is the, the this, it, it is the city of the great king. Jesus is that king. And Jesus brought salvation. Remember, that's, that's why Jesus came. He came to bring us salvation. And that verse there, verse 1, said that the God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Now, it's important to realize that when God's using walls and bulwarks, and other translations say ramparts, if you, if you like castles, you know, you, you know that you have a uh, rampart at the top of towers and thing and, and of that nature, you know, defensive, defensive structures built around the city, and so it's protection. So God's appointing salvation for walls and bulwarks of that city, His kingdom. Okay. Now, salvation then is protect is the protection for God's kingdom in the earth. You may remember back in John 11 when Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Right before he performed that miracle, Martha, Lazarus' sister, told Jesus, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's talking about this same day we're reading about right here. How did she know about that without having the New Testament? Well, apparently she either knew this scripture or she knew other scriptures that talk about it. But when she said that, Jesus replied, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In other words, if you you believe in me, even if you die physically, you will live spiritually. Okay? And then right after that, Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, raised him from the dead, knowing that sometime, eventually, Lazarus would die a physical death later on. And when I first realized that, I thought, well, if Jesus knew that, then, then why, why raise Lazarus from the dead? You know, if, he, if he's, you know, because he, he just implied that Lazarus was already saved. 
So why raise him from the dead if he's just going to die again? What we need to realize as followers of Jesus is that God is focused on the big picture. We tend to focus on the here and now. And when we think about the end times, our thoughts tend to gravitate toward how the end times are going to affect us immediately in the physical. How is this going to affect me? And if I'm, you know, an exceptionally generous person, I might think, how, are the, how is it going to affect me and my family? And, you know, that's really where Martha was. She was focused on the moment she was living in. Her brother was dead, and she was in mourning. And when she met Jesus, she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But what I want you to do is take a second to freeze frame that scene in your mind with, with Martha standing before Jesus and think about that. Because we're looking back on Martha's life 2,000-ish years ago. You know, because you know, we, we are, we are 2,000 years removed from this situation. Physically, Martha, Lazarus, and the rest of their family are dead now. Physically. Yet Jesus told her, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He meant that for those who follow him, that even if we die physically, we will live on with him spiritually. We know this. We, you know, this is one of the, the foundations of the Christian faith. And we, we, we talk about it. It's one, of the, it's one of the things that we, one of the tools that we use to talk to people about Jesus and win them over to Christ. But it's not something that we spend a whole lot of time talking about, you know, regularly. Um, and we can see that Martha, who believed in Jesus, by the way, was more focused on the here and now than on the, than on the eternal. Lord, my, my, my brother got sick and died, and if you had been here, he would not have died because surely you would have healed him. And Jesus, Jesus implied that same thing before he left to raise Lazarus from the dead. He implied that he would have healed him if he had been there. That's just a side note. Even though Martha understood the eternal, that one day Lazarus would rise again, okay, because she said so herself, I know he'll, he'll, he'll be risen again and at, at the resurrection the last day. Okay, even though she knew that, she was still focused on the immediate, the here and now. We, we can see that clearly, right? The next question is then, where does God want our focus? Where are God's eyes fixed? Now, first of all, don't misunderstand me. Martha was right to be in grief over her brother's death. That's a vital part of the healing process. But I also want us to notice that along with that, Jesus was giving her a change of perspective. He was just kind of tweaking her perspective a bit. Martha told Jesus again. He told, she told him, I know Lazarus will rise again at the resurrection. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection. Your hope is in the resurrection, Martha, but the resurrection is standing right in front of you. This is why Jesus told us not to fear those who can kill the body, but to only fear God, who is able to kill both the body and soul in hell. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Jesus told us, they will persecute you. They will, they will torture you. They will kill you. They will drag you before officials and, and magistrates. They will do that. He said, but don't be afraid of them because they can only kill the body. They cannot kill your spirit if you believe in me, is what he's saying. Because, you know, it is true, physical death is troubling, the idea of it. But for those who belong to Christ, they are alive in Christ whether their bodies die or not. 
Keep your finger here and turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would. Paul explains some of this over here in Corinthians. It's not usually something we spend a lot of time on, but since we're talking about the end times and the coming of God's kingdom, it's good to know some things about this. 1 Corinthians 15. Look down at verse 51, if you would. And, uh, oh, I'm going to be reading this out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. It says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where does victory over sin and death come from? Through Jesus Christ. Through him. This is why, you know, it's not, it's not a, a one-time gift he bestowed upon the entire world. It comes through him. Therefore, in order to receive it, we must be in him. In other words, it, his offer is not passive. It's active. You, a person must accept Christ and stay in Christ in order to have this victory over sin and death that it's talking about. So those who are in Christ have victory over sin and death. Over sin, because Jesus gave us his nature, we can cooperate with in order to turn from sin. And over death, because he who believes in Jesus, though his body may die, his spirit will be present with the Lord in heaven. This is protection. This is why that scripture back in Isaiah said that God's strong city, his kingdom, his, has, has walls that are made of salvation. Our protection in Christ is that even if our bodies die, we will never die. This is why Satan's kingdom can never prevail in the earth. How can you overcome an enemy that can't die? This is why the apostles weren't afraid to lay down their life for their faith in Jesus. And then here in Corinthians, we have the promise that God is going to take our corruptible bodies and make them incorruptible when Jesus returns. See, that's the fullness of our salvation. See, if we can focus more on the eternal, where our future is, rather than on the here and now with its temporary dangers, we can be more confident in fulfilling our assignments here in this age. Look at that last verse in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, So, my dear brothers and sisters... Be strong and immovable, always working enthusiastically for the Lord. How often? Always. Always working enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And it's important, you know, that when you're working for the Lord, this is just a side note, you're working for the Lord, it's important, it's important to do it as, as unto the Lord because it says nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. But then it's also vital that we stay in Christ and we draw our strength from Christ. 
because Jesus said, he who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We have to stay in Christ in order for that flow to continue. Because if we try to do it in our own strength, if we're not relying on God's strength when we work for him, we will dry out. Okay, because there's that, because we have a, a limited supply, but that unlimited supply comes through being in Christ, staying in Christ. Okay, and I also want to add here that even with this assurance that though we may die, we live on in the Lord, God still does miraculous things in the here and now. Even though Martha knew she would see her brother again in the resurrection, Jesus still called Lazarus out of the grave right then and there. And now we're kind of circling back to that question, why, why do that? Why, you know, why, why would he do that, knowing that Lazarus would still eventually die again? Well, there's many reasons, and I, and I mean probably even more reasons that I can list. But for one, for God to display his glory, his goodness, for God to display his mastery over death, and, and specifically for God to show his goodness to Martha and her family, and what he does for one, he'll do for another. And then also to show that even though God's focus is on the eternal, he still cares about the here and now. And then also in order to build a stronger witness in their lives. Because you know as well as I do that whenever God does something big in your life, you become just a little more convinced of his reality and his goodness. Just a little more confident in your trust in him. And you also have more to tell others while witnessing to them about what he, has, what he has done for you. One reason God still does miraculous things is because it makes us more effective witnesses for Jesus. It makes it so we can shine brighter. This is how God runs his kingdom, and he wants us to be mindful of how he sees things. Let's go ahead and flip back over to Isaiah, if you have your bookmark there, which I do. Okay, so we covered down to verse 10 last week. And we focused on these two spiritual kingdoms. The strong city, in verse 1, we just read about, represents God's kingdom in the earth. And the lofty city, in verse 5, is Satan's kingdom, which is bound to earth. Satan's kingdom does not go beyond into the heavens like God's kingdom does. Okay. And so, you know, again, last week we focused on the two kingdoms themselves. This week, uh, I want to focus on what comes of the citizens of those two kingdoms. Because you understand, if you accepted Jesus, your citizenship is in God's kingdom. Okay? And we already know that we who belong to Jesus' kingdom have salvation as our protection. And that we, as God's representatives in the earth, show people his offer of salvation through Jesus. And we talked about how that is how God expands his kingdom in the earth. And how every time a person accepts Christ, Satan's kingdom decreases and God's kingdom increases. Okay, but God also expands his kingdom by bringing judgment on the earth during the great tribulation. Look at verse 11. It says, Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see. But they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Now, the Amplified Classic renders that verse a little more clearly. It says, though your hand is lifted high to strike, Lord, they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Yes, let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Now remember that this chapter is talking about judgment day. Again, this is just a reminder. This consuming fire 
it's talking about is only for those who have refused to acknowledge God after all the judgments they've seen in the earth and after all the good that they see God do for his people. Because he will be still working among his people all through the tribulation as well. Okay, so if you want more info on that, you can look up part one of this teaching we did last week. But for time's sake on this, we need to move on. Verse 12 says, Lord, you will establish peace for us. For you have also done all our works in us. Now, again, God works through his people. He works through his church. Okay, that's really all it's talking about there. You have also done all our works in us. Verse, uh, so, uh, okay, before I move on, I don't want to get ahead of myself. That word translated peace there, because it says, Lord, you will establish peace for us. That word translated peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And it means more than just peace. It means health, prosperity, and peace. Health, prosperity, and peace. That's blessing over your entire life. Amen. Verse 13. O Lord our God, masters beside you have had dominion over us. But by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead. Those masters is talking about, master, the masters that were over them. They are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. This is what will become of those who remain in Satan's kingdom. When they die, they will not rise. That's a big difference than for those who are in Christ. Even if those in Christ die a physical death, they will rise again because they have been given victory over death through Christ. The people in Satan's kingdom don't have that benefit. They will not rise again. <sighs> Isaiah, again, chapter 15. Sorry, chapter, chapter 15. Verse 15. Don't go to chapter 15. Stay here. Isaiah 26, 15. He says, it says, you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Now, this verse, this verse 15, this verse spoken out about judgment says that the Lord has increased the nation. Past tense, he has. This, I believe, is talking about the revival to take place before Jesus returns. But like I said before, when t in talking about revival, you know, we've seen waves of revival throughout church history. But the truth is, is that any time a person gets saved, that's revival. It, you know, so we have been in a, a constant state of revival since Jesus ascended. That's just, that's just what revival is. But when he says you have increased the nation, he's talking about a, you know, a, a, a wave of revival, I believe. A, a, you know, a last great harvest, if you will. Because it says God has increased the nation. Which nation? The same one mentioned in verse 2. Where, or, uh, yeah, verse 2. Where it says, open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. It's that same nation he's talking about. That speaks to the completion of God's kingdom in the earth. When they, when they enter. 
because that's the final. When, when the gates of, of, of the kingdom of heaven, we have our citizenship in heaven, but still we are bound to this earth in our physical body. But see, when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom in the earth, it says, open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. When we enter in all together, that is the completion of his kingdom. Amen. And that takes place at his second coming. Let's look at verse 16. And as we read verse 16, though, I, uh, I, I want you to look for some familiar language in there that we know Jesus used in talking about the end times, okay? Verse 16, Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chast- their chastening was upon them. I keep wanting to say chastening, it's chastening. This verse is talking about um, the people who come to him during the, the trouble, during all of the wrath and judgments that's coming, okay? They poured out a prayer when your, cha- your chastening was upon them. Verse 17, as a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Now, this is interesting. Remember, Jesus talked about the beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs in the last days. All of this has to do with the approaching day of God's judgment, because it's written here in this chapter about that day. When that last line says, the inhabitants of the earth have not fallen, the Amplified Classic instead uses the phrase, and the inhabitants of the world have not yet been born. So where it says they haven't fallen, you, you could take that to mean fallen from the womb, so to speak. They have not been born. So these inhabitants of the earth haven't yet been born. Born how? Born again into God's kingdom. Remember, Jesus talked about that in John 3 to Nicodemus. These verses are talking about a deliverance and a revival that hasn't yet seemed to come from the writer's perspective. But it will come to pass in the last days because, remember, this chapter is prophecy, telling us things to come. Amen. And it's worth noting, and, and this is where we're going to tie this together here. It's worth noting that it uses the word, in, the, the phrase, inhabitants of the world. The inhabitants of the world have not yet been born. Last week we read back in verse 9 that when God's judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. It's talking about that specific people group during the tribulation that will come to Jesus when they see God's wrath upon the earth. Look here at verse 19. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Remember we just read about people who die in Satan's kingdom in verse 14. When they die, they don't rise again. But people who die physically who are in Christ rise again. Again, the Amplified Classic sheds some more light on the meaning of verse 19. It reads it like this. Your dead shall live, O Lord. The bodies of our dead saints shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew, O Lord, is a dew of sparkling light. Heavenly, supernatural dew. And the earth shall cast forth the dead to life again. For on the land of the shades of the dead, you will let your dew fall. That last line there, the land, the, the land of the shades of the dead, that reminds me of, uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
So even, even in that time, when we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, even during that time, God's going to cast his dew out. Okay? So let's not, let's not let this whole thing about dew confuse us. You know, the dead in God's kingdom, it said, are risen because he lets his dew fall on them. What is dew? Dew is water that falls. God said in the last days he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Jesus said that those who believe in him out of their heart would flow rivers of living water. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you there's victory in God's kingdom. Again, I know I'm most likely preaching to the choir about this, but I feel all the churches need to be talking about this in order to get past the fear of the end times and to prepare us to get into working mode in the end times. Because even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is still working. That's why we fear no evil. That's where he's with us. Because the last place we want to be in when we begin to see more signs of the times is in a bunker mentality. We can't hunker down and try to hide and try to ride out the, the storm of persecution that's coming. There's only one time I see here that God tells his people to take refuge during the end times and it's very brief in comparison to the rest of the end times. So don't, don't, don't go, oh, right, there's a, there's a time where we get to kind of hide and just let things play out without, without us being involved. But look, look at verse 20 and 21. I'm going to go ahead and read both of these verses out of the Amplified Classic. All right, and it reads like this. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the Lord's wrath is past. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, heaven, to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also will disclose the bloodshed upon her and will no longer cover her slain and conceal her guilt. And that, you know, that, uh, that mirror is what we talked about with uh, uh, last week. I mentioned Cain and Abel and how God had told Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's not concealed. I'm aware of everything that you've done. So this here, again, this is a, this is a parallel that we see here. Okay, so now it says that God's people should hide until God's wrath is passed. Go ahead and turn with me over to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. Now, there are a few exceptions to this that we're going to talk about. You know, one of them before I get into reading it is those of us who subscribe to the pre-tribulation rapture hope to be already taken up before God's wrath comes into full swing at the end of the tribulation. And if we are right, that means that it's the people who come to Jesus after the rapture that are the ones that are being advised to take this short refuge from God's wrath. Because we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here for that if the pre-tribulation rapture is, is accurate. And, uh, you know, there's some scripture to support that, but I won't get into it because even though I want you to know where I stand, I'm not looking to push any specific doctrine about these things on you. I just want us all to be prepared for anything, okay? So that verse in Isaiah that said to hide for a little while was for the specific time of God's wrath, which is a time period that takes place within the tribulation. It doesn't go for the entire tribulation, but it's, it takes place in there. And I'm going uh, to show you what I believe is the starting point and the ending point of that time in Revelation. Now, I don't want to delve into great detail here. But Revelation gives us some specific things that take place in the earth during the end times. And I believe that some of it has already come to pass and some of it has not. God uses symbolism to stress specific groups of events. And you've, you've got, so you've got seven seals, you've got the seven trumpets, and you've got the seven bowls, if you're familiar with Revelation. And there may or may not be some overlap in those events. 
because God did not necessarily give us revelation in chronological order. Okay, so let's look at the sixth seal in verse 12. It says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree dropped its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Okay, so as you can see, there's a little room for speculation here. But I think I'm on firm enough footing to say some things. When this earth-shaking event takes place, the wicked people in the earth call it the day of God's wrath. And they hide in the rocks and the caves. Now, God's people, on the other hand, are instructed to hide in their chambers. There's a difference here. God's people are not to hide from the wrath or persecution of man or of the Antichrist or of any other, any other thing that happens at this time. And they are not hiding themselves out of fear. But they are able to take refuge in the understanding that God's wrath is not directed at them. This reminds me again of when we were studying Moses in Egypt. Many of the plagues that God sent did not affect his people who were present in the land. They were there for all the plagues, but they weren't affected by all of them, by most of them. And the last plague which struck down Egypt's firstborn, when that was about to come, God gave his people protection. They were to strike their doorposts with blood from the Passover lamb as a sign to God that that house was to be passed over. And he instructed them to go into their house and not come out during the time of that plague. So God has set a precedent, a precedent, not a precedent, a precedent of how He cares for His people during hard times, or you know, times of His wrath. So we can take comfort in that. Now, just to sort of bookend this little mini study on God's wrath, flip a couple pages forward to chapter fifteen, the Revelation. This is after the seventh seal, and all seven of the trumpets. So you could say God's wrath began maybe with that sixth seal we read about, if those people were right about it being the day of his, his wrath. And it ends here with the bulls. Okay, so look at verse 1 if you're in chapter 15. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Okay, so I just wanted to show you that statement about God's wrath being complete in the bowls. Because over several weeks now, we've been talking about God's judgment and wrath in the earth, but we haven't actually looked at them in detail. And of course, you can go and read, read about it on your own. But know that my purpose in teaching on them like this is so that you know the reason God brings that judgment and wrath in the first place is to give the wicked every last chance to repent before the end. Okay, all that being said, let's go ahead and get ready to wrap this up by turning back over to Matthew 24. If you would, I just happen to have a bookmark there. You can see that uh, many places in the Bible talk about the end times. So it's important to base your understanding on the end times from all of what the Bible has to say about it. 
or with the whole counsel of God, as, we, as we've said. So a few weeks back, we came to this passage, Matthew 24, and we looked at verses 3 through 14, where Jesus gives an overview of the entire end times period, including the tribulation, I believe, from his resurrection and ascension on down through the end of the tribulation. Now, we're going to pick up where Jesus goes into some greater detail. So he gives us an overview in verses 3 through 14, and then he starts to go into some detail. He goes back into uh, uh, talking about something that is going to take place sometime in these verses, in verses 3 through 14, and he's just going to go into some greater detail. Okay, so verse 15, he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So, I bring this up because this instruction Jesus gave about fleeing to the hills in verses 15 through 20 are for a specific area and time. He said, those who are in Judea. Okay, it's for those dwelling in Israel in that, in that close area clustered around Jerusalem. Uh, it's it, those who are dwelling there at this time that this abomination of desolation is revealed in the temple at Jerusalem. So again, right now, there is no temple in Jerusalem at this time. There will be. Okay, because some of the world events that we are seeing now could lead up to the rebuilding of the temple in our time. Could happen. And when you go back and you read the book of Daniel, you find that it is the Antichrist himself who goes into the temple and places that abomination of desolation in there. What is the abomination of desolation? We don't know exactly. And I, I have some theories about it that I won't go into, but one thing is clear. Jesus is implying that whatever it is, we'll know it when we see it. We'll know it. Well, as soon as we see it, we'll, that's what Jesus was talking about. And I say we because of live streaming over the internet. You know, the entire world will probably see it because that's what the Antichrist wants. He wants to be on display. He wants to take the place of God, and he wants everyone to see him do it. Jesus is saying that at that point, the seven-year period known as the tribulation will begin. That's why he's saying that believers who are dwelling in that part of the world at that time should flee to the hills because the worst parts of the tribulation are going to be centered around that area, around that geographical location. At least that's what it looks like from what we read in, read in Revelation. So let's pick up in verse 21. We'll see Jesus, Jesus confirm this. Verse 21, he says, For then there will be great tribulation. So it, it looks to me like that point when the abomination of desolation is revealed in the temple, that at that point... That is the starting point for the seven-year tribulation. That's what it looks like to me. Okay. So he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall ever be. And again, the tribulation comes from God. It's, it's God putting pressure on people on the earth to repent. Okay. Now, the church will suffer persecution because the people who are being pressured will in turn pressure us because... They, don't, they won't like what they're hearing. They won't like the messenger. Okay, verse 22, he says, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Who's the elect? That's us. That's the saints, people who belong to Christ. So for our sake, God's going to shorten those days. Verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. 
For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, this is just a side note on this. Okay, because uh, we have lots of people nowadays calling out anything that they see that's, that, that is, is miraculous and they want to call, call that out and say it's of the devil. But the devil's a counterfeiter. So there's a reason that the false Christs and the false prophets are going to be successful. It's because they're counterfeiting something else that's going on in the earth that's genuine. God will still be working and doing the miraculous in the earth at that time. Okay. So he says, For false, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. Whereas the lightning comes from the east. Okay, now, now, now pay attention. Remember here, okay. Remember what we read in, in Corinthians about the dead in Christ rising at the last trumpet in the twinkling of an eye. In a moment, in the, in, in the, in the blinking of an eye. The mortal putting on immortal. He says here, verse 27, For as the lightning comes from the east, flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation. Okay, so these verses next here, verses 20, 20 29 through 31, he, what he's doing here is he's going to go back and he's going to give us some details about what's going to happen in that twinkling of an eye. Uh, that when, he could when his return is like that lightning flashing from the east into the west when it happens in that, in that quick instant. In these verses, uh, 20, 29, 30, and 31, he's giving us details about what's going to be happening in that instant. Okay? Verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. See, okay. Now, you remember, uh, first First of all, let me, let me correct myself. I, I shouldn't have said verse 29 was, was part of the, the little mini explanation. It's actually just verses 30 and 31. But, but he says here that all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Remember that verse back in Isaiah that said that the, the people will see God's zeal for his people, those who are not paying attention and will refuse to accept God? They will, they will, uh, they will be ashamed, it said, when they see God's goodness toward his people. That's what this is talking about, okay? It says, Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Remember? Paul said that at the last trumpet this would happen. The blink of an eye. He'll send out his angels with a sound of a trumpet, he said. So this is the promised victory that we have in God's kingdom. Aren't you glad that you're in God's kingdom? If you're not in God's kingdom, if you don't know, if you have, you don't know about if, whether you belong to Jesus or not, Romans ten nine says, if you confess out loud, you say out loud that Jesus is your Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it takes. The hard part comes after when you are living for Christ and remaining in Christ. And if you want to make that easier, just ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said in the Word that 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 Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. Just ask Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and it will make this easier. Praise God. So this is how we know that any work for God that we do in the earth will not be in vain because of this promise 
Amen? Okay, that's uh, all we're going to talk about today, so let's go ahead and, and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your plan in the earth, that we know that even though we will go through trials and, and pain, we know, Lord, that there will be a great harvest, that there will be many who turn to you and, and, and turn away from sin and turn to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and join your kingdom because you will have adopted them into your kingdom as sons and daughters. We thank you so much for your goodness, Father. You are so, so good. I thank you, Lord, that we will see the enemy's plans fail in the earth, that even though there is great hardship, there is also things to be joyful about. So we thank you, Father, and praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Okay, well, thank you guys, and I will see you next week.